Well, good morning, New Life family. It is so good to see all of you this morning. And um, I just wanted to welcome all of you and do a shout out to those of you that are watching online and those that are on the patio. And then I want to do a really special shout out to some of, some of you that are going to be watching a little bit later today. And that's because you are running the City by Sea for World Vision this morning. And we just wanted, um, everybody in here, can we just clap for them and let them know that we love them and um, are just so proud of them. And my name is Joanna. And again, I'm just so glad that you're here. And if this is your first Sunday with us, um, or even you've come a couple times and you just haven't made it to the connection counter, we just invite you to do that. We have two inside the lobby and we have one outside on the patio, which is also just a great place to grab a cup of coffee, connect with people. And this Sunday is really my favorite Sunday of the month here at New Life because we do pizza with the pastor. And um, we say around here that we're family. And we would love for you to come and get to know us better. And maybe this isn't feeling like home quite yet to you. Please come and talk with us. Have delicious pizza. Get to know us. And I promise we have ideas on how to help get you connected. And really, what is our heartbeat that you know that you are loved by Jesus? So I know it's 9 a.m. And our Pizza with the Pastor is after the 11 a.m. service. So it's a great time. If you're like me, I do chores on Sunday. You could go home, throw in some laundry. You could go grocery shopping, or you could just go put your toes in the ocean and come back around 1230 and join us for pizza. So as we get ready to worship this morning, and again, like I say, we're family. So I think it's okay to ask a little bit of a personal question, don't you? So if when we get ready, if you could stand up and ask the person next to you, um, are they already decorated for Christmas? Because I'm hearing that's a thing. good to be his family. Amen. I just want to pray for us before we enter into worship together. And um, I'm just excited for what God has. So let's come expectant this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. Thank you for the joy that is in this space, the joy that, that is in you, Lord. And uh, we just invite you to have your way this morning. So we lift you up in this place. Would you come and meet with us? And we're here to meet with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. First intro is just drums.
Oh.
we come to you this morning and we just recognize that you are God in every moment. Um, when tensions rise and nations war, when we are in our darkest hours, you are still God. You are still with us. Um, and whether that means that we are in a season where we are raising family, where we are in a job transition, where we are wondering what to do next, where we are um, serving our country. Um, we have just had a weekend of honoring those who have served our country. Um, and you have been God in every moment with them also when they have sacrificed time away from their families um, to serve our country, God. And we are grateful for those who have um, given of their time and their talents to be able to do that so that we can um, that we can live our lives each day. God, we just thank you for those um, who are our veterans, and we honor them this weekend, God. And we just pray um, your blessings over them and um, your protection, God. And we just thank you for the peace and hope and joy and love um, that you give, and I pray that over all of us this morning. Um, we are just in a season where we really try to be more intentional on focusing on thankfulness, God. I just pray that you will bring things to mind for each of us this morning that are a blessing um, or maybe something that we don't view as a blessing because it's become something that we expect and something that is so regular for us that we forget that it is a blessing, God. And I just pray that you bring those things to mind this morning um, and that we focus on how that is a gift, God. Above all, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers forward this morning as you take a seat to receive the offering. Um, we, like I said, we're in a season of Thanksgiving, and what comes right after Thanksgiving? There you go. Okay, good. You get an A this morning. You're awake. You're paying attention. So Christmas is coming up pretty soon. And obviously we love to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus. But we also celebrate the time leading up to the birth of Jesus, which is Advent. So we, every year, do an Advent kit it is something that you get to take home and do with your family, um, and we'll have little videos that go with it each week and activities in there. So the boxes are not ready yet. Some of our wonderful volunteers are coming on Friday to help us make the boxes and have them ready, but you can go ahead and go online and fill out the form to reserve yours for your family. And if you don't have a wooden stand yet that the candles go in for each week, um, you can get one of those also. If you already have one, um, you don't need a second one. It's just a one-time kind of deal. So if you have yours and you've been taking care of it, you're good to go. But everybody can sign up for an Advent kit, and we will be packing those this week and getting them ready to give to you. So go online and fill out that form, or um, you can come to the connection counter, and we can help you um, get all signed up for an Advent kit. Another thing that we have coming up is next week is baptisms. It's Celebration Sunday, so we will be celebrating um, babies and kiddos who their families want to dedicate them, and we also have baptisms. So one of the things I love about baptism is 
and being at a multi-generational church is you will see people of all ages getting baptized and it's just really cool to realize that at such a young age, like my daughter decided to get baptized right before she turned nine um, and she was ready. That was her personal choice. So it's fun to see um, the younger kiddos really be able to make that choice. But also we celebrated not that long ago with Ray Lloyd on his 100th birthday, wanted to get baptized. So all ages getting baptized, and it's a party no matter what age it is. So we want to celebrate that with you if that's something you've been thinking about. Um, If you have been thinking about getting baptized or have some questions, we're going to have a little informational meeting just right up here after service at 1030. So just um, go grab a quick cup of coffee and then come back in. And we would love to talk to you about baptisms and what that might mean for your life. Um, Okay, so baptisms, Advent kits, and now we're going to transition to having Pastor David bring us a message today. Amen, amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And would you breathe in and breathe out? And would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, sometimes when we come to your scriptures, it feels like we walk away with more questions than answers. Sometimes there's tough, challenging words to us. But God, every time that we come to your word and you reveal more of your character, more of your nature, more of who you are, we are reminded that no matter our questions, no matter our frustrations, no matter our uncertainty at times, that we can trust that you are with us. And that is actually where we find our hope. And so God, today, as we read your word, as we wrestle through some questions God, I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would sense your presence, and that we would know that you are with us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this series called Origins. We began by taking an overview of kind of the Old Testament and understanding kind of just the the major themes of the Old Testament. We moved on to take a look at some specific stories from the Old Testament and the people that are a part of the Old Testament. And today I wanna address uh, a question that arises not only out of the Old Testament but the New Testament as well. And one of the reasons why I felt that it was necessary within this origin series to address some questions is because we find ourselves at times asking questions about ourselves in our own family origin, right? Like some of you have taken the, uh, the, the ancestry test or things of that nature, and you're like, oh, that's why I have green eyes, or that's why I have red hair, or that's why this, that, or the other. Or maybe you find yourself even as you uh, kind of prepare to enter into your retirement years, or even, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you just recently had children, and you were asking questions about disease, diseases or things that are a part of your family, and so you're taking tests and trying to figure out, hey, what am I susceptible to? What are things that are in my family tree or things of that nature? And so some questions actually um, are so important to us or they're so uh, kind of to the forefront of who we are that they can dominate our lives in such a way that they actually keep us from moving forward. And one of those questions that we often have or that people of faith have or even people who don't believe in Jesus yet, who are just investigating Christianity, investigating God, and if that's you here today, um, 
This message is for you. And if you've been uh, uh, following Jesus for years, this message is probably going to resonate with you at some level as well. And I wanna remind us that one of the goals of this particular message, if I can just be really upfront with you, is not to necessarily come to a definitive answer, but to have a way of wrestling with this question. And the question that people have either uh, maybe has been a blockade to people's relationship of following Jesus or has caused people to abandon their faith in God is the questions that surround the problem of evil. Probably no other question or no series of questions have probably had people wrestle more than trying to figure out where where is God in this world where we Look around us and see that there are sinful people who do do sinful things. There is evil that has taken place. There is heartache that has taken place. And quite honestly, we as the church have been part of the problem at times. We as a church have been part of the problem because we have offered insufficient um, ways of dialoguing about this in environments where people could ask really hard, difficult questions and, be, and have safe space to ask questions and even have uncertainty and doubt. And one of the things that I, I love, that I hope that we are creating in all of our environments, I know we have them in many of our environments, but I pray they're in all of our environments here at New Life, is space where people can wrestle with their faith where people can wrestle with uncertainty, where people can wrestle with their doubts. And one of the reasons we have times as the church in general have done a poor job at this is because we have attempted to give definitive answers, again, rather than giving a way of wrestling with some of these difficult questions and leaving room for mystery. Sometimes the best answer to a question is, I I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm still learning. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is we can, what I uh, talked to a professor about one time when I was in my undergrad is we can actually live the question. We can live into the question and live into what God is doing in our lives and place our hope in him and still wrestle with the mystery. Having doubt and having questions and having uncertainty does not mean you need to abandon your faith. In fact, it requires faith at that point to walk in the ways of God. And so my prayer is that today for some of us is gonna be really helpful for you or maybe in conversations and dialogue that you have with others. But I also recognize that it is going to be challenging for some of us. One of the reasons it might be challenging is because I uh, likely am going to challenge maybe some of your presuppositions of your own theological framework that you've grown up with uh, from the time that you were a young person. And for others, it's going to maybe be like a deep sigh of going, oh, you mean it's okay to think like this and still follow Jesus. So let's start with a really fancy word, theodicy. If you look on the, the screens, there's a short definition. There's many definitions I could have gone with. But I think this idea of theodicy is helpful. A philosophical attempt to explain the existence of evil in a God-created good world. How do we reconcile that God is good and that he created all things and that we live in a world where we can readily see evil taking place on a regular basis? 
And the story of God actually offers, again, we talked about this really early on in our series. In Genesis chapter three, we get a general explanation for why we experience evil in the world, and that is sin has entered this world, and so it doesn't take us long. Most of the time, you're not arguing with people over the existence of evil in the world. It is very easy to look at your social media feed or turn on the news, or if you're really old school, you open up a newspaper, and it's really easy to find evidence that there is evil in our world. That's not usually, that's not usually where we find ourselves wrestling with it. Where we wrestle with it, or the harder question for us to face is, in light of evil, is God sovereign? Is God in control? How is God sovereign? How might he be in control? And so if God's sovereign and in control, why does evil exist? Why doesn't God just step in and, 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 and just like miracle after miracle or step into these specific moments? When you think about the atrocities that we've seen even just in my lifetime, why didn't God stop, step in, in at 9-11 and do something and block those planes from flying into that building? or maybe more personal to you, what parts of your specific origin story do you wrestle with and say, God, why didn't you step in in this particular moment? Why didn't you change the course of that person or this situation? We also wrestle with it this way. Does a good God at worst cause or at best allow evil? Does God control every detail of the universe? Or maybe, let's be really practical here, three ideas that you hear in the church probably over and over and over. Everything, happens, everything that happens is the will of God. God has a plan. You've heard that one, right? God has a plan. Something tragic happens in my, that's, that's okay. God has a plan. Or, the last one, everything happens for a You've heard it. And likely been influenced by its bad theology. Some of you are wrestling with me saying that right now. Some of you are going, ah, I don't know. If God is in control, how do I make sense of the fact that we celebrate a Veterans Day where wars are happening and we celebrate a memorial day where people have been lost in war. If God is control is in control, how do I make sense of the fact that my father-in-law is not here to watch my kids grow up? He died way too young. How do I make sense of my friends who lost a child to SIDS? And we still regularly celebrate her life. How do you make sense of tragedy that goes on in your life and things that are frustrating? How do we make sense of, again, a phrase that you hear people wrestle with often, which is this, why do bad things happen to good people? See, these are the things that we wrestle with, and if we just kind of put them under, kind of shove them to the corner or put them under the car carpet, we don't actually wrestle with the really important things that everybody's asking, but nobody wants to say something about. And I want you to kind of think through this framework this way today. 
that maybe God helps us see in the dark. See, when you're in the dark, or specifically when your kids are in the dark, one of the things that happens is that they exaggerate what is in the dark, correct? All of a sudden, when you can't see, I mean, again, you think it's just for kids, but I can tell you, my wife does not like to go outside at night to get something out of the car. And she always, yeah, I'm calling you out, honey. Sorry, I'm so sorry. But she doesn't because it's not what's outside, it's what could be outside, right? And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that when things are dark, it's easy to exaggerate or build a narrative in our mind about what is happening. And so what scripture does is it helps reveal what God is doing and allows our eyes to adjust in the dark to recognize the mystery of what's happening, but also to give us some lenses to be able to see things, hopefully, more accurately as they are. One of the ways that the Bible describes this idea of seeing in the dark is a word called wisdom. And the wisdom books of Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes are actually designed at some level to help us wrestle with this idea of the problem of evil, to wrestle with the, th- with the fact that sometimes things, sometimes really bad things happen to really great and incredible people. And so the Old Testament actually provides a starting point for this conversation, but it may not be the starting point that you're hoping for because the starting point in Job is simply this. Some things I just don't understand. I don't want to sound like that's a cop-out. I don't want you to think that somehow this is just like, hey, just, you know, just, you know, pat you on the head. You're just not going to understand. But It does take humility to recognize that there may be things that I am not just fully going to understand. If you have read the book of Job, it's kind of a gnarly book. Job is considered not a bad person, not a sinful person. He's considered a righteous person. And as a righteous person, you would think that his life, if you read the book of Proverbs, righteous people all of a sudden up left, their life will exhibit blessing and all kinds of really great things. But what we realize from the book of Job is that sometimes you can be a righteous person and in this world, bad things can still happen in your life. And that can be frustrating. And so this happens to Job. I encourage you to read the story. We even have posted the Bible Project video for the book of Job on our website and you can go and you can watch that to help you have an even further understanding. But one of the things that's interesting in the book of Job is that as Job is finding himself as a righteous person having these incredibly awful things happen, his friends come along and try to offer quote, wisdom to him or their suggestion of why these things are happening. Maybe you're sinning, Job. Maybe this is happening. Maybe that is happening. Maybe this, maybe that. And what you begin to realize, and rightfully so, Job becomes really, really frustrated. And one of the things that I think is important to mention here is that God has given us the gift of lament when we don't understand things. We don't use that gift quite often enough. 
that when we go before God, that he actually invites us. If you read throughout the Psalms, if you read throughout the book of Job, you begin to realize that one of the beautiful gifts that we have is to come before God and to be very frustrated with God. Your feelings of frustration, your feelings of anger, God welcomes when you lament. And here's what's so important. We're reminded in the New Testament that anger is not sinful, but we're cautioned to not allow our anger to become sin. Which means that God recognizes that he has created us as emotional beings. He's created us, and at times we will get frustrated, and at times we will get angry, and at times we will have feelings of uncertainty. And he invites us to come before him and to lament before him so that we don't sin. So when you don't understand, I invite you to consider lamenting. And so God allows Job to lament and lament and lament and lament. But then God also speaks. He speaks into Job's life. And he says some things that can kind of be difficult for us to hear. In Job chapter 38, verses one through seven, he begins literally chapters, chapters. Notice I didn't say chapter, chapters of just reminding Job of who he is. He says this, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Whoa, Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. Again, Job has been questioning God and questioning God and questioning God, and now God has some questions for Job in return. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. If you're following along, in Job chapter 38, verse 4, if you want to write this down in your notes, this is a key phrase. Where were you? Where were you? Write that phrase down. It can be helpful to us. Where were you? Where were you, this is God speaking, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the, survey, the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Where were you? Or in David's English translation, oh, so you grown now. <laughs> right? Oh, so you an adult now. Come on. You hear what I'm saying? Like, like essentially God is, is recognizing like, hey, I understand your frustration and I invite you to do it, but you need to know something. There are things about this world and about this construct and about this universe that you are not able to understand. Now pause here for a moment because I think we need to be really careful. God is not telling us to be anti-intellectual. He's not telling us to not seek answers. He's not telling us not to wrestle with questions. What he is saying is that even in your wrestling with questions, there may be certain things that you just can't completely understand because you don't have all the information and you won't this side of eternity. And that's hard. But 
if you've ever led anything, if you've ever led an organization, if you've ever made a decision in your family, and people who don't have all the information make judgment based on the decision, but they don't have all the information. I had one mentor tell me this. The, the closer you get to a problem or a situation, the more complex you realize the solution is. And so when you're standing way back here looking at everything, you may not have all the information and you may not have all the things that necessary to fully understand why things happen the way they do. God is helping Job and he's helping us understand that the universe is radically complex. And quite honestly, we can't fully understand all that is happening. I know. For some of us, we don't like that answer. But that is an aspect, one of the answers that helps us wrestle with this idea of the problem of evil. The second portion of it is really interesting because it's Job's response to God saying this. Like again, how normally do teenagers or maybe kids respond to that idea that you don't understand? They stomp off, they slam their door, they get frustrated, those types of things. But Job doesn't actually respond that way. In Job chapter 42, verses one through six, listen to how he responds. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I, I had only heard about you before. Listen to this. This is so key. This is Job speaking. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job is not making a statement about his circumstance. He's making a statement about his encounter with God. I'd only heard about you before, God, but now I am seeing you with my own eyes. And because I've seen you with my own eyes, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. He's encountered God's character. He's encountered God's relationship with him. Think about this for a moment. So many of us want to read that passage before and see it as kind of this, you know, this uh, divine spanking, for lack of a better way of saying it, right? Rather than a God who loves us so much to sit down with us and come near to us and meet us in our questions, to speak to us. See that phrase, I have seen you with my own eyes, reminds us that God offers himself to us. Psalm 34 reminds us again that God is near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. God actually never answers Job's question about why. He just simply says, I'm with you, I'm here. And so as we wrestle through this question, there's some things that pop up along the way that I think are important for us to, to recognize. And the first one is this. And it's something that, some, again, some th- is gonna challenge some of us. Not everything is God's will. Not everything is God's will. 
There was actually a shift in understanding about God's will. In the earliest of the church, um, you find people understanding and wrestling with God's will this way. Based on the life, death, Uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What are the implications of this new reality and how do we live as the people of God and how do we live in our marriages and how do we live into this kind of idea of the resurrection and the kingdom of God? So God's will was equated with how we live out the implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But Augustine comes along and Calvin later on, and some of you grew up in traditions that were very much influenced by Augustine and very much influenced by Calvin, but they come along later, and instead of God's will being about the implications and reality of the kingdom of God, they make it about God's control over the universe. And so there was a shift that happened from the earliest church to to when Augustine and Calvin come along. And the frameworks, those are two radically different frameworks. One says the will of God is about the implications of living into the kingdom of God and allowing my life to be shaped by the life, teaching, death, and resurrection. The other one says that God is simply the puppet master in the sky controlling all things, and that is God's will. The problem with that is, is that Jesus comes along in the New Testament and teaches us to pray a prayer, and within the first several sentences of that particular prayer, we pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which makes the implication that the will of God may not be happening on earth as it is in heaven all the time. So we need to recognize that there might be things that happen in the next 24 hours that have more to do with the free will of humanity, spiritual beings, and even creation in its fallen nature than it has to do with the will of God. Evil is not a result of God, but of the freedom God built into the fabric of the universe. So he did create the construct. That's one of those areas where we're gonna wrestle, right? Yeah, I know you said God didn't cause evil, but he created the construct and the risk where evil was introduced. So maybe think of it this way. God did choose to create a construct. He did choose to create creation with real relationship in mind and all the risks that go into that. And the outcome of that decision to create creation with free will is that it allows others' will, other wills to take place in this world. And so evil has more than one answer throughout the scriptures. Every time we talk about this problem of evil, we want to come to one definitive answer and say, this is it, or this is it. Here's the silver bullet. And we but rather than seeing it as a silver bullet or one thing, what if we saw it more as a web or a framework or lenses to help us wrestle with and understand why there is evil in this world? So let's talk about several ways. 
one of the ways that we see evil um, used in scripture is that evil is used for our good and God's glory. That's very much a reformed tradition understanding that they kind of focus in on. Some of you have heard that phrase before. Evil is used for our good and God's glory. And throughout scripture, we do see this happen. But what I would say to my reformed brothers and sisters who I love very much is that when we see this happen, it is the anomaly, not the normative. When God co-ops evil in order to move his plan forward, it's not the norm of how God operates. It is the anomaly how God operates. It's kind of like, hey, in order to move this forward, I'm going to move my plan of salvation forward. In order to move God's purposes and plans forward for eternity, at times he will co-opt evil in order to move that forward. That's hard for us to wrestle with, right? But again, I want to suggest that it is not the normative that it's the anomaly. Where do we see this happen sometimes? Well, we see it first and foremost happen in the story of Moses and Pharaoh. It says, we were reminded in the story of Moses and Pharaoh that Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened and God actually eventually hardens his heart. He gives Pharaoh over to his sin in order to um, move the plan of salvation forward of liberating the people of Israel. So it happens in moments like that. These are rare. These are not the norm. And with all respect to my Reformed brothers and sisters, who I believe we all love Jesus and we are all going to heaven one day, I would disagree with them that this is normative, that God, is, that God caused 9-11, that God caused these various acts of evil in this world. But we do have to recognize that there are times where God uses evil. We see it when, when God even disciplines the people of Israel through Assyria and through, through the Assyrians and through the Babylonians. We see that as consequences. He uses in time and in history in order to move the people of God towards him. The second thing that we have to recognize is that um, evil, one of the answers to evil is that there is evil that we create. See, we like to think that evil is always external to us, but Theologian N.T. Wright reminds us that the line of evil runs down every single one of us. See, we like to point to other people and say, how could that person do that? Well, given the right circumstances and the right upbringing and the right trauma in our life, we are actually capable of atrocities. And we need to recognize that we are capable of atrocities. Because, oh, but for the grace of God, quite honestly, am I here on this platform preaching here today and not having my life be an absolute wreck? Because I can tell you there was a time in my life where I did things my way and my wants and my desires, and I didn't care who I hurt or what the consequences were. And so there are evil that we create. There's evil that others create. We're reminded in the book of Judges that when people do what's right in their own eyes, they actually create evil and harm and destruction in this world. And there are people who have chosen to allow not Jesus to be Lord of their life, but sin and evil to be Lord of their life. And because of that, we experience the pain and suffering of people allowing evil to be, to, 
evil people to do evil things. Fourth, evil Satan or spiritual beings create. Oh, we don't, as modern people, we don't like that one, right? What are you talking about? That doesn't sound scientific, spiritual beings, demonic beings. Yes, there are spiritual beings and demonic beings that create evil in this world. First John reminds us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, except for the fact, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that Christ Jesus has come, amen? So we have to recognize, though, that, and we'll talk about the implications of this, evil, Satan, and spiritual beings create. One of the things that helps us uh, wrestle with that idea is to recognize that the cross and resurrection, according, as a reminder, I was reading a book by uh, Joshua Porterfield, and it was reminded of this, that the cross and resurrection are kind of this D-Day moment in the universe or in God's creation, And so the decisive battle was won, the war was won through the life, teaching, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But there's still implications, there's still residual effects of the war that are ongoing. But that does not mean that Satan is somehow winning. This is not a fight that Satan is winning. God has already been victorious. And finally... Evil created by chaos. Evil created by chaos. We live in a fallen world, and sometimes the only explanation is not that there was a reason that your loved one died in a car accident. Sometimes it's just tragedy, mistake, and accident. And we experience evil because of it. So I know this is heavy stuff, so let's use a lighter way of talking about it, all right? You get pulled over for speeding, total evil, (laughs) right? Could it be God? Possibly. You get pulled over speeding, and not only were you speeding, but you uh, were intoxicated during the time that you were speeding, and God utilizes the evil that is happening in this particular moment in order that you would suffer consequences for that, and you end up either doing time in jail, or you find yourself um, doing community service or something of that nature, and God intentionally in your life works, uh, works uh, uses the evil that is happening in your life or the sin that is happening in your life in order to grab your attention attention. That is something that God is capable of doing and at times will do. But it could also be that you were speeding because you're a really competitive person, which sometimes creates evil, and you were looking at your map, and your map said that you were, it was going to take you 45 minutes, and you were going to beat that map time because <laughs> you are just so competitive. And so you were speeding because of your own free will and sinfulness, quite honestly. And so that's why you were doing it. You could have gotten pulled over because you were going through a small town. And because you were going through that small town and they recognized that you were an out-of-towner somehow, that cop in his maliciousness pulled you over and gave you a ticket only because he wanted to earn some more tax dollars for that particular small town. And you weren't speeding at all. Right? Right? It happens, maybe, sorry. Never happens, CHPD, I I apologize. 
it could be a demonic or an attack. You're headed from point A to point B and you're not speeding at all and uh, you're going to do great ministry for the kingdom of God and all of a sudden, the enemy wants to divert your attention and you are not doing anything at all and all of a sudden, you get pulled over to distract you from the kingdom work that you are doing and you arrive and instead of being focused in on kingdom work, now your mind is filled with frustration and irritation and the fact that this is gonna cost you stuff and you're not there. It could be an attack of the enemy. Or it could be chaos. It's why when I pass by those signs that tell you your speed, I look at my speedometer, I look at that to check it because I don't want to get caught in chaos when all of a sudden I get pulled over because my speedometer just randomly stopped working. So it could be any one of those things. And what I want you to recognize is is that when we wrestle with this situation, it's not always clear cut. It's messy and it's difficult. And it not only could be any one of those situations, it actually could be multiple ones of those situations all happening at once. And what I wanna help us recognize is that we may need to shift. The dominant question that is asked is why And instead of asking why, ask what? Because why can just get us to spiral out of control and down and we keep spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. Well, why this and why this and why this? What if the Bible, again, according to Job, is gonna leave us with some mystery mystery in this question? And rather than asking why, what if it's really clear, not on why, but on what God is doing about evil? And what if our hope, what if our hope isn't in answering the question why evil, but our hope is putting our place in what God is doing about evil? See, God isn't sovereign because he controls everything, but because he is able to overcome evil with his goodness. That is what Genesis through Revelation teaches us, that it isn't about God. I I can only have hope in God if he is in control of everything. Nope, I can have hope in God because no matter what happens, he is able to take the pieces of my brokenness and the pieces of the the evil and the sin, the pieces that evil and sin cause and create good out of them. Read the Old Testament. The people of the Old Testament didn't have hope in God because he was in control. They had hope in God because he was faithful to his covenant. Read the New Testament. The people of the New Testament didn't have hope in God because he was this puppet master in the sky in control of all things. They had hope in God because of the cross and the resurrection, because he was doing something definitively about evil. The story of God from Genesis to Revelation is about the fact that God has done something about evil, is doing something about evil, and will do something about evil. So let's remind us of it. Genesis chapter one and two, God created and it is good. But in Genesis chapter three, things go awry and it's because we choose our way over and above God's way. It is our act of rebellion that allows evil and sin to enter this world. And the reason that you ache in this question is because God reminds you that we weren't created to have experienced evil and suffering. We were created for good, but we have chosen a much harder path. 
And so we long and we ache for good. God works through the people of Israel, as we've learned over the last several weeks. God works through the people of Israel in order to redeem all of creation. But unfortunately, what does Israel do? They fail again and again and again. And everything in the Old Testament leads towards Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus takes evil in all of its forms. And what does he do? He puts it to death on the cross. Let me stop here for a moment. We sang a song earlier that Jenna, one of our worship leaders, beautifully penned these lyrics. You are God in every moment. What that means is that God is sovereign and God in every moment because God brings the fullness of himself into every moment, not because he's the puppet master in the sky controlling all things. He brings himself into every moment. And when Jesus lays him his life on the cross, he conquers. It is the decisive D-Day battle where he conquers death and sin. God did not cause evil, but he takes responsibility for evil in this world on his shoulders and he does something about it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. And so when we ask what, we place our hope in what God has done and will do about evil. It doesn't mean that we don't groan and ache to see this plan come to its fullness sooner than later. But our present sufferings pale in comparison to what God is doing the word says. Our present sufferings is not where we place our hope. Our hope isn't in this idea that nothing bad will happen in our life. It's that in this world we will have trouble and Christ has overcome the world. That's where we place our hope. And so one of the things that we have to wrestle with is that our hope is not in a God who wills everything to happen, but our Hope is in a God who when things happen, he can redeem and restore and take the most broken of situations and redeem it. That is where we place our hope. Our hope is in that no matter what happens, Jesus is alive and that the kingdom is coming. That he is able to take all of this and redeem and restore it. Our hope is not in a blissful 70 years where we need to see all this take place or 80 years or 90 years or 100 years where we need to see all this take place. Our hope is in a God who is here from the beginning and sees into eternity and knows that he has defeated evil and death and the enemy and it will not have the final say. That is where we place our hope. See, in order to see in the dark, we don't wrestle and kind of spiral out of control with the why question. We wrestle with the what is God doing about it question. We, with the words of Job, say, I see you. I haven't just heard about you. I've encountered you. 
I've experienced your goodness. I've experienced your grace. I've experienced your faithfulness. And I will place my trust in you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct my path. It does not say he will make my path easy. He will make my path simple. He will, make, he will direct my path because God, no matter the circumstances, is able to enter into that circumstance and be with us. I get it. Some of us have experienced, are experiencing, or will experience the shrapnel of evil and sin in this world. And it will be very easy to say, where is God in all this? It'll be very easy to spiral through the wise. And one of the things that the early church recognized as they were not only, they would not only take the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper once a week, but sometimes multiple times a week is that they grounded themselves in the fact that God is doing something about sin and evil in this world, that he made the decisive victory on the cross and through the resurrection. And so they would consume not the evil of this world daily, they would consume the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. See, some of us feed ourselves because of, no, of notifications evil every day. And can I tell you something, church? You were never created to experience the number of notifications about evil and suffering in our world that you receive every single day. It is a constant barrage of there is evil, there is death, there is suffering. It all seems to be winning. I'm not sure what to do about it. Can I suggest that one of the ways to wrestle with the why question is to do something about it and that something is to feed on something else? What if we feed ourselves the gospel? That it is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that God is victorious. That not only will, did God do something about sin and evil, he is doing something about it and one day all things will be made new. And so, one of the ways we counteract this why, 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 why is to recognize that God is good and gracious and that he wants his blessing and favor to rest on us even in the most difficult of circumstances. He is with us. And so at New Life, the way that we partake of the Lord's Supper is I'll invite you to come forward and receive the elements. Those who are gonna be assisting us at this time, I want to invite you to come forward and take your places but I also want you, as you come forward, to listen to these words that the, that the worship team is going to sing over you. The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And then, I want this to resound in you, because what the enemy attempts to do is to say, see, evil, see suffering, see pain, see abuse, see all these things, God doesn't care about you. But I am here to tell you that God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. The reason I know he is for you 
It's because he took matter into his own hands and he wrapped himself in human flesh and he laid down his life on the cross in order to defeat sin and death. And I know right now we see through, see through a mirror dimly, but one day we will see him face to face and we will know that we know that we know that our God is victorious. So I invite you to come and be reminded that God has done something about evil and suffering in this world. And he is doing something about it. And he will do and make all things new. So I invite us to be dismissed from our front to the back. Lead from your left and return from your right. Come to the table and be reminded that God sees you.
gathered his disciples together. He was aware that they would experience the shrapnel, the heartache, the suffering of following him. But he wanted to remind them that 
he was doing something about it. And what he was doing is, I am with you. I am with you. I am for you. I'm beside you. I'm above you. I'm beneath you. There is no, if you go up to the heights of the heaven, I will be there. If you make your bed in the depths, I will be there. And so he took bread and broke and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance that I have won the victory. Take and eat and remember Christ. And after supper, he took the cup. This cup represents my covenant, which will be made through my shed blood. This cup doesn't, doesn't say that I control everything like a puppet master. It says that I am, will be faithful to my covenant to redeem all things. Take and drink in remembrance. For whenever... You eat of this bread and you drink of this cup. No matter your circumstance, I am with you to the very end of the age. And so, Heavenly Father, today I pray your Holy Spirit, like a healing balm, I know this type of message can open up wounds and frustration. God, I pray like a healing balm, your Holy Spirit would just meet people right where they are remind them that you are with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Yes, let's celebrate what God is doing. So good. So good. After this service, we have a baptism gathering. If you're interested in being baptized, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, our prayer team is at the front. They'd love to bless you and encourage you and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. We have a baptism um, gathering that's going to happen over in the top part of our life center and if you stop by connection central they can they can direct you to where that's i'm sorry never mind it got it got too big uh, last time so we moved it in here so you don't have to go anywhere you can just come right down this front area and they will uh and they will let you know um how you can be baptized next sunday and last but not least later on uh today after our next service we will have pizza with pastor as you go today may you know that God goes before you, that he's behind you, that he's above you, that he's beneath you, that he's beside you, that he is with you, and that he is for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.